You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Why I'll Never Make It, a lighthearted podcast that takes a revealing look at a career in the entertainment industry, featuring stories and conversations with those on stage and backstage, on screen and behind the scenes. To keep up with all the guests and episodes, go to the website, winmepodcast.com. There you will find ways to follow and connect via Twitter and Instagram, as well as ways to support and donate to this podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and this is Why I'll Never Make It. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My special guest is joining me on Zoom today and she and I are going to be talking about the business, of course, and she has a service that she calls Triple Threat Therapy. So there might be a little bit of therapy going on today, which of course, at uh, one point in time, we all need. But uh, Kelly Gable, she is someone who started this business much like all of us. As, as a child, she got interested in theater, started doing a little bit of um, school stuff and community stuff, and she really enjoyed and found a, a calling, found a purpose in theater. And that led her into college and on into her 20s. But along the way, she kind of found it hard to make a living at it, as, as we all do from time to time, and started branching off into other directions and personal development. And she realized that changing her perspective and mindset that it was having an unexpected positive effect also on her performance. I'm so happy to have her on the show today because she can talk about this mindset that has become so important to her and has kind of opened her up in ways that she didn't even imagine. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you this morning. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's right. It's morning where you are because you're based in LA and Correct. it's afternoon where I am here in New yes, York. So I have my coffee. Got to make sure I'm, <laughs> I'm alert for you. Have you been in LA the whole time? Is that where you grew up? Yes. I have actually never lived more than about 40 miles from the home that I grew up in. Oh, wow. So, so, yes. so you're, you've been local your whole life. <laughs> I have. I sure have. And it's funny because I'm around so many people who have moved here for this business and to them, they, they are just in awe of all this LA everything. And to me, I'm just, 
a little over it, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Just done with the crowds and and trying to figure out how can I still do what I love and do it somewhere else because the, the concept of being around all these people, it's lost its luster for me, so. No, I would say the same thing happens here in New York. I mean, this is where a lot of opportunity is, obviously, as as there is in LA with auditions and productions, both theater and television film, a lot's going on. And so it's a gr- it's a great place to be, but at the same time it gets so tiring. Mm-hmm. Not to, not just not just, you know, the racket and grind of 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 auditioning and, and trying to make it that way, but also just the the city itself. I assume you you find that with LA. Oh, definitely. And, and I think in ways um, unique to LA as well, because I know in New York, you have a lot of the wonderful public transportation so that you could, you know, even though you're dealing with the crowds and all the moving around town, it, it's a little, it can be a little more productive if you want it to be. Um, whereas here, if I'm stuck in a commute, I'm driving. So I can only be so productive and that to me, I, I'm a very multitasking person. And not being able to do anything but drive in that time is a little maddening. I, I right, need to right. Be able to do something else. Because at yeah. least when we're on the subway, we can listen to a podcast. We can go over sides. We can whatever it is, read a book. You know, we can right. do whatever it is we want to do. Exactly, and I can listen to a podcast, but I almost need it to be entertainment because I'm a note taker. And if I can't write while I'm listening, then I'm just going to have to listen to it all over again. So, you know, it's almost pointless to me. Absolutely. Because I started one of these podcasts that's about productivity. And I was listening to it just kind of, you know, late at night as I was just kind of winding down. But then I realized, oh my gosh, there's so much that I need to like learn from this podcast. So so it's not really, well, it's not really one of those I can just like do the dishes or do other things while I need to like sit, as you said, have a notepad and Mm -hmm. and actually try to learn from this podcast. Well, hopefully people are going to, you know, learn a little bit from this podcast. And and that's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on to really talk about this idea of making it. And Mm -hmm. so you know, most of the people that I have on the show are from New York. And so we have a certain perspective about this business, you know, being in this city and, and, and what it looks like to audition and work here. What would you say, if, if it's different at all, is, uh, is making it in LA? You know, I think it's funny because I think as much as, as us theater nerds, me and all of my circle, really, we would love making it to be more about theater. And while there is a lot of wonderful theater here, most of the really high quality theater is coming into town, not so much happening in town, right? So, you know, theater in that side of things is a little bit more of our creative outlet. And then the making it part is, can you get something on television that's going to support your theater habit? Something something that's going to pay you a significant amount of money for one to two days of work so that then you can go and audition for everything else that's kind of a labor of love and not so much where the income is coming from. So, yeah, it's a very different aspect. And for someone like me who don't, I don't really have a lot of Hollywood aspirations. I mean, I've been in that world and it's not really my favorite. So um, I had to find other ways to support that theater habit not doing that same thing. Right, right. Because in, in LA, um, certainly uh, there is some TV film here, but Hollywood, LA is the the film capital of the mm-hmm. US. And so that's where a lot of that is. And and it's interesting that you say that, that 
Is that what you find a lot of actors doing is trying to book that, that on-camera work, whether it's commercial, TV, film, in order to then pay for the not as, uh, <laughs> not as paying, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, not as lucrative theater world? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't say that's everyone. There are definitely people who have serious goals in both aspects. And I think there's a lot of crossover right now between the Hollywood actor and the Broadway actor, right? So um, in some ways, I think there may be people here who are trying to make it in Hollywood because they think it's going to help them make it to Broadway, which it might, to be honest. I mean, the way things are going now, that's very possible. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that's it's an option, but it's, it's a, such a different... Um, such a different craft that the Hollywood film TV aspect and the theater. I mean, if you, if you go into a Hollywood audition and you, you, you know, kind of do your thing as big as you would in a theater audition, it's, it's not going to go well. So it's two very different skills and not everybody has both. And so I think that it's, it's a, um, it's something that, Yes, I think it's a it's a way to support the theater, but I think there are a lot of people who their goal now is Hollywood, hoping that it will parlay them into maybe where they really want to be. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because that was a choice that I had about 10 years ago. Mm. I, was, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be cast in a short film when I was living in Orlando, and that short film was then in the Los Angeles Short Film Festival. And so I, I went to LA, you know, for that premiere and to be a part of that festival. And it, it was my first time to really be there for business. I had gone, I, I, I'd been there on just visiting, vacationing, that kind of stuff before, but never really on business. And so it was interesting to go there with a professional goal in mind. And I completely, at least looking back on it now, I completely just botched the whole opportunity of it, of reaching out to this agent or or having someone see it or, you know, trying to get someone to come and see this project that was going to be on the film festival. And, uh, and so part of me going there was then to decide, all right, well, when I move, do I want to go to LA? Do I want to go to New York? That was the, the big struggle. Was that something that you ever thought about as you were branching out into more professional aspirations? Um, I mean, yes, in the abstract, I would say. I don't think I ever went down the path of thinking, okay, can I, do I want to move to New York and actually try to do this thing? I don't think I ever thought that um, leaving LA and going to New York was going to bring about this big break for me. I don't know. I think I always thought that if that ever happened for me, it would be something where, you know, I auditioned for a tour here that somehow made its way to. And, and to be honest, I have a lot of, a lot of friends and people that I have worked with in the past who that's exactly what happened to them. They started out in a tour and then that tour ended up on Broadway or they had to go and swing in for someone on Broadway and that's how their debut happened. So, I mean, it's such a plausible story that to me, crossing the country and dealing with a whole new set of expenses and, um, you know, just not having the network there that I'm used to never really appealed to me um, as far as that being a path towards a Broadway dream. It just never seemed like something that 
was interesting to me, I guess. Yeah, yeah, because I I, I had to go through the same thing because while I was living in Florida, I, I was going back and forth to New York, you know, because I had friends there. So I would stay with them, do some auditioning and then come back and forth. And so the thought of going to LA was really going to be, as you said, was going to be starting over from scratch. It was going to be this new world. And I wasn't really sure how to navigate that world. And what have you found is bigger differences between the LA experience and the New York experience? To a certain extent, there are a lot more opportunities in New York as far as um, auditioning for just really like larger theater opportunities, I guess. It's not that they don't come here as well. They do. I mean, we do still have the ECCs and the EPAs and stuff like that, but I feel like they're a little bit fewer and far between. Whereas in New York, it seems like you could go, you know, knock out multiple in one day. And that's just not how, that's not how it works here. You know, I mean, you'll, you'll have a season where you'll have a lot of them come up back to back, but um, it's not, it's not so much like a, it can be your day job going to auditions because there's just not enough of that kind of opportunity here in yeah. that. Yeah. You know, which makes sense because here in New York, like um, there are uh, rehearsal and audition studios that are within like a two block radius of each other. And mm -hmm. so you go to, to one, it's on this floor, that floor, that floor, go to next door to the other building, this floor, that floor, and you can bounce around. And at most I've gotten four auditions in one day. I would assume that that's almost impossible in, in LA. It kind of is because the, the theater or not, not so much the theaters, but the studios like you're talking about that will typically host those kinds of auditions. Um, they're within, I would say a five to 10 mile radius. But so the factor that you have at play there that clearly is not an issue in New York is the parking factor. So even if you could drive from point A to point B and make it in time, good luck finding a place to leave your car while you go in and do it because everybody else has already gotten there before you because they weren't maybe coming from another audition. So they got all the good parking and now you're, you're parking, you know, a mile, two miles away. You're walking, you know, I mean, it's, it's just a completely oh, wow. different yeah. aspect that comes into play there. Um, so even though they are kind of within a circle that is, is, plausible as far as hitting them all in one day it's it's just physically stressful <laughs> and then you set yourself up to go in and have a frantic audition and I, I feel like it's not worth it almost um to attempt to do that wow wow yeah and and that kind of gets me into the next the next topic uh, you know we've we've started to kind of mention some of those setbacks some of those struggles but what have you found is something that that keeps you from making it within LA I think a lot of it has to do with, um, I mean, I know this is an issue in New York as well, but I think the cost of living factor, um, having such a need to work consistently to support living here and then somehow finding the time to make it to the auditions in the meantime. And then let's say you do, you make it to the audition, you book the show, but you have maybe a, a small, um, a small rehearsal period that's during the day. So if you had a, a during the day job that was supporting your habit and you managed to take time off for the audition, how do you manage to do that for the month for the rehearsals and then have a job to go back to, right? Mm. It's not, it's not plausible. There's yes, you can be a waiter here, just like you can be a waiter in New York. I mean, there are nighttime opportunities. There are ways to work around it, but I feel like for people who, um, 
you know, the auditions are so few and far between here that it's, it's more plausible to have a nine to five type job here in order to support yourself and then do your theater at night. Right. And so then finding the time to audition for the quality of performing that you might want to do, for example. So I, I have a, you know, typical, not so much nine to five, more like seven to three thirty, based on my own <laughs> preference, but I have a 40 hour a week job, which allows me to do theater at night, but it's a certain level of theater that I'm able to do in that time frame. If I want to audition somewhere that's maybe um, heading a little bit more towards the regional level or, um, you know, for example, there, there was a specific audition that I was really excited about going to and, um, you know, I was going to be able to make it because the auditions were in the evening and I was so excited. And then I went and looked at their rehearsal schedule and I realized that all of their rehearsals start at three o'clock in the afternoon. They're in Anaheim. So for me, that's like an hour drive. And then the last week, it's all throughout the day, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. Impossible. So it comes down to, am I going to quit a job I've had for multiple years that's very reliable for a month's worth of rehearsal for a show that goes for two weekends and then what? Hmm. It's not plausible. You know no, what I, mean? I mean, it's, and, and that's one of the things that's definitely similar to the New York experience because mm-hmm. I have so many friends who have to juggle, whether it's a waiting job, whether it's an office job, whatever it is, and they have to juggle that schedule and keeping that job while still trying to get to as many auditions as they can. I mean, New York, and and you can tell me about LA, in New York, you can find those employers that understand actors. It's like, okay, well, you can kind of come and go as you need. And then there are those employers who are like, we don't hire actors for that very reason. So have have you found that LA employers are kind of the same when it comes to that? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely the people who are willing to be flexible. I do have not so much an employer, but let's just say a supervisor who is very um, amenable to that if I really needed it. But I don't think he, even he could be as uh, gracious with my time as a month long worth of rehearsal process. He would let me go for an audition perhaps, but for something that's going to take up that much time, it's just not, it doesn't make sense for him to allow that. Um, I do find out here, most of the people I know that are really making a go at making it, whether it's in the Hollywood world or the theater world or whatever, the the best job for most of them, to be honest, is working at Universal Studios. All right, yeah. um, Especially as a tour guide, they are unbelievably flexible. I mean, you can be scheduled for the whole week and then that morning you find out about an audition, you get yourself covered because they have so many tour guides that can, you know, cover your shift and you can go, or even for example, you can go. So let's say you're working in the morning and you're supposed to be working all day. You can go in the morning, leave for two to three hours, go to your audition, come back, finish your shift, and you still get credit for your whole shift. Oh my gosh. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's amazing. But, but it's, it's one company, it's one place to work there. There's only so many opportunities there. So if you're fortunate to have that, you never let it go realistically, unless you, you do make it and you go off in the tour, but even then you can get a sabbatical. I mean, I've known people who've gone off, done a tour, come back and they still have a job. And that is wonderful. 
but it's, it's very unique. And I don't know if there's anything like that in, you know, anywhere else really. Um, for myself, it's interesting that you brought up theme parks because down in Orlando, which is where I was uh, for about nine years, Disney World was much the same in the fact that obviously I was performing at Disney World, but then I was able to every now and then be able to do a show at night, you know, when, when, when there are rehearsals or, or maybe take a week off or work, work with my schedule and have my shift covered here, do this, do that, and then able to make rehearsals and performances. So yeah. Orlando is kind of a unique situation in and of itself. It's so reliant upon the tourism and theme parks. And so there's a lot of people that work there and that gives you a lot of coverage, especially mm -hmm. for us actors, because it's a very tight community. We all kind of know each other and right. you tend to start subbing in for, uh, for different shows and, and with each other. Exactly. So with yourself, you we're on this journey of, of, of being a and going toward a professional actor. And so somewhere along the way, it started to seem like not what you wanted to do. Talk about that process. I think everybody always has those moments where they feel like, you know, this is a pipe dream. This is never going to happen. Um, you know, there, there's just too many whatever, whether it's, I mean, for most of my life, I was blonde too. So, you know, you, you go to all these auditions and you've got, a row of short, blonde-haired, blue-eyed sopranos. Okay, there's plenty of me. They don't need any more, right? <laughs> start feeling that and feeling this lack of uniqueness. And it, it does start to feel like, okay, well, it's all about who you know, and I apparently don't know anyone. So, you know, this is not going to happen. Um, and you definitely go through those phases. But I think what it really comes down to is um, I kind of had this, moment of self-awareness, I would say, oh gosh, maybe, maybe about 10 years ago now, somewhere around there. Um, I had a friend who I had been doing shows with. Um, she was fantastic. I mean, I only work with wonderful people, so <laughs> that's just a given that they're going to be talented and nice. Right, and, right. As, it, as we all do. Yeah. We have those sure. wonderful people. Yeah. Sure. And I watched her, um, you know, she, she was one of those examples where she auditioned for a tour. She got the tour then the tour translated to Broadway and boom, she's on Broadway. And you know, you have that moment of, okay, yes, I'm very happy for you. I'm so excited for you. And PS, I also hate you. <laughs> right. 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 Um, exactly. and, and, and it's one of those, like, what, how, how did you do that? What did you do that's special? Because I was starting right where you were. So what was the difference? Right. And I think the realization that I had was, I don't think I really wanted it as much as she did. And I think that it's, it's a moment where when you really are honest with yourself and you look at what she was investing her time and money into and what I was investing my time and money into as far as training and preparation and all those sort of things, maybe she actually really wanted it more than I did. Maybe I only thought I wanted it because I like to perform and I like to perform on stage and I feel like that leads to this natural expectation that you must be wanting to be on Broadway. And as soon as that, that must or that should conversation starts to happen in your mind, you, that's your goal now. Because if it's not, then what's the point? What am I doing? I, I need to be heading somewhere, right? And that's not necessarily wrong for some people. That's 
exactly where they want to go. But I don't think that has to be the case for everyone. And I think that's where I had that realization of, you know what? I, I didn't really want that. I don't necessarily care if I'm on that stage. I think I just want to make sure that I'm consistently on a stage and that I'm consistently doing something that challenges me and that excites me and, you know, working towards um, maybe specific roles or goals for myself. And if that were to someday parlay its way into something like Broadway, I'm not going to say no. Obviously, I will take something like that if it comes along, right? I'm into that, right? Right. But it's not something that um, I feel that need for anymore. And I think when I really allowed myself to be honest with, you know, just the reality of look at my life, look at my calendar, look at my bank account. Where am I spending my time? Where am I spending my money? Well, it's not in classes and it's not in training and I'm not, you know, going to all the different, um, you know, workshops and what I'm not doing that. So that's not where my goals really lie. You know, your schedule will not lie to you. It's going to tell you what matters to you. Right. So I saw that and I thought, you know, okay. And that's okay because I'm still able to work towards specific goals and achieve those goals and have those successes and have those same highs and lows, regardless of whether my end goal is Broadway or it's just a specific role on, on any community stage nearby. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. You still have those same ups and downs and those same challenges regardless. And so I think for me, that was kind of where that moment happened, where I watched her. And now I can just be really happy for my friends who are just crushing it on Broadway and on tours and all over the world, because I no longer feel that, um, that hidden, you know, frenemy vibe, that animosity where you're just like, I am just as good as you. So why do I, don't I have what you have? Right. Would, is, is it almost like that, that competition went away? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that competition rears its head everywhere. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's still there. Um, for me, it's kind of moved into a different category of my life. I don't so much have it in that theater performing category, but now I have it in that coaching space where, okay, so now I'm, focused on what I do see that matters to me, which is helping other performers achieve whatever their goal is. And so now it's that, that comparison and competition between me and all those other coaches who have, you know, 20,000 followers on Instagram and why don't I, and what are they doing? You know, it, it rears its head everywhere. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, you're in a different field, so to speak, but at the same time, the same jealousy or competition or desire to go to the next level is still there. Exactly. And that's, and that's never going to go away. Um, but I found that I, it's just, for me, it's so much more pleasurable to, to know that, um, that what, to, I guess, just to find that self-awareness in myself and to really understand my goals and my purpose and what I need to be spending my time on. And it helps a lot to, to put up those blinders and not get so focused on what other people are doing. Because regardless of, of a success that they might have achieved, they put something, probably a lot, into that that I would never sacrifice in my own life. And so, yes, they've achieved something that I have not and that maybe someday I wish I had, but they've given up things that I have 
that I really cherished and covet. So it's, you know, it, it comes down to what really matters to you. It's interesting that you brought up the fact about how our schedule doesn't lie to us. Like what we devote our time and energy toward is really probably a better indication of, of what we really want than this idea or this, you know, dream that we have that's, that's floating around in, in our mind. And, and, and as you were saying that, I was kind of like going through my own schedule and times and, and, and what I devote to. And it's interesting how it's changed over the last 10 years that I've been here in New York. When I first got here, I would say, you know, for the first five or six years or so, it was getting up early in the morning. It was going to every audition that I could. It was going to the one-on-one -on -one classes with casting directors or agents or this or that. It was taking those classes. It was, I, I, I was like trying to, to get in the know. I was trying to be in front of people. I, it was a, there was a constant go, go, go about it. And then somewhere, uh, you know, then, then I finally booked my first tour, which was great. And I would say that after doing that, I started to be a little bit more selective about, okay, now I'm going to go in for these roles and that role. And I could see my, myself shifting in the way that I approached auditions or, or what I thought I you know, should be doing now. And you know, I want to do more principal work, so I'm going to aim toward that. It's interesting. With that came much more of a roller coaster of motivation in, in the sense mm -hmm. that you know, before, anytime there was a Broadway audition, go. I was just there. I was in the line. And now I'm like, well, I, I don't really think there's a role for me in that. Or, you know, oh, I don't really like that show. So I move on. And so I started to have a lot more qualifiers in everything that I did. And do you find that those qualifiers are, are a good part of growth? And like, okay, I'm discovering who I want. Or do we often use those as, as an excuse to not push ourselves? That's, that's a really good question. And I think that... Um, it, it really depends. So I think if you have looked at your, you know, you've really been self-aware and you've really looked at what do I actually want? What do I, where do I want to be in five years? Whatever that same question you always get asked, right? If that question is answered by, I want to be on a Broadway stage, then you need to get your butt out there at every audition. You need to do all those things, get in front of those people because being selective is not going to get you there, right? the reality is you have to, you know, sort of, I hate saying pay your dues because I don't like that concept in general, but just you have to put in the work and put in the effort. And I think in that point, when you are, you know, using those qualifiers and being selective, I think um, it is somewhat of an excuse at that point. And it, it may, in some ways, it may be an indicator, an early indicator of that that's not really your goal, truly that you're telling yourself that's your goal. But if you're so willing to give yourself an out and not go to this audition so that you can do anything else, regardless of what it is, then maybe that's not really where you want to be. Maybe there's some other aspect of this goal that, uh, or this community or this theater habit or whatever that is really your goal. And so that's why you're kind of giving yourself an out. Hmm. You know, it's that concept of you never want to go into an audition telling somebody that you're not what they want. Right. I mean, you would never want to do that. So not going to an audition because you don't think there's a role for you. It's the same thing. It's the same thing as walking into the room and saying, you know, I'm not really a dancer and you need a dancer for this role, but I'm going to sing for you anyway. 
Like you would never, ever do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. You would never do that because that's silly because maybe they don't need a dancer for this production, whatever. Just go in there, be amazing and let them decide. Right. And if, if, if that's your goal is to really just be on Broadway and you don't need to know how it's going to happen or what role it's going to be or whatever, then you're going to go into every audition, give them your best and leave and try to forget about it. Right. That's, that's what you're going to do. Um, if your goal is, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing to start being more selective. I mean, there, there does need to be a growth to that. You know, even if that's your goal, you can't always be focused on, well, I just need to be in a show and I don't care in what role and I don't care whatever, because if I'm not constantly on stage, then, you know, you need to be growing in some way. So being constantly allowing yourself to be in the ensemble of any show anywhere that's that's another kind of excuse as well, because then it's you're not progressing towards anything. So it's not saying that being selective is automatically bad or implying that you don't really have this goal, but you need to look at what what are your real qualifiers? What are you, what are you selecting, and why? And, and and probably take a good look at what I choose to do instead. Oh, definitely, definitely. But I think even still, it doesn't necessarily mean you don't go to the audition. Because you can go to an audition. I mean, I don't, maybe this is a little bit different in New York, but here for sure, at most of the theaters, when you're filling out your paperwork or whatever, you can say, "I'm not interested in anything less than," right? I don't. I'm not. I don't want to do the chorus. Yeah, yeah. There are th theater season auditions where you fill out that paperwork and you say, "I'm interested in these roles. Would you do ensemble? Yes or no?" So you can say that. Right. So I think, you know, you still have the ability to allow for that growth, but still make sure you're being seen, right? So that's, that's kind of an aspect of allowing the growth without making the excuse. You still go in, you're seen, but then you're not going to allow yourself to get buried in the ensemble again, right? That's, a, that's okay. And I think that's, <clears throat> that's indicative of something different than maybe this is not really my goal right? That, that is a true growth and a, a true pattern. And, a, and I think something that is necessary at a certain point, but I think you also need to be really self-aware and, and also get outside feedback as to when you really are at that place, because just because you've done ensemble in one show, whether it's a tour or whatever, doesn't matter where it is, doesn't necessarily mean that you're ready for saying, no, I won't do ensemble anymore. Right. You, you need to, to realize that there are times where you need to allow for ensemble in multiple things because maybe this show is bigger than that show was. Or maybe the the ensemble track also allows for you to swing something else. Or whatever. You know, there are qualifiers that make it a step up even though you're still in the ensemble, right? Yeah, because I've had to make those kind of choices before. For example, whenever I booked the Avita National Tour, mm -hmm. I was also cast at the same time at a regional theater and I could have gotten to do Trevor Graydon in mm. Flirty Modern Millie and George Banks in Mary Poppins. Oh, so, so I yeah. could have had those two lead roles in a regional mm -hmm. theater or be in the ensemble of a Broadway national tour. And so it's mm -hmm. like, how do I, and, and, and the thing is they were, sadly enough, they were both paying the same. So this national no. tour was not yeah. gonna make me that much money. So it was a matter of, 
well, then what's good? <laughs> see, see, your, your dog agrees. Right. Your dog absolutely yes, he agrees. Does. Um, he says, that's horrible. Don't make that decision. Right. So, so yeah, so I had to kind of make that decision itself of trying to determine, do I go for principal work and, and have these great roles that I've wanted to do? Or do I go for this ensemble work? I, I ended up going with a national tour just for the status of doing a national tour. So, sure. you know, I've, I've, I've second guessed that decision ever since, you know, as, as, we, all, as we all do with every decision. Um, but, but yeah, it, it sometimes does come down to, you know, what's going to be best for that next step in our uh, career. Well, and I think too, it, it comes down to, again, you know, in that scenario, what, what is your true reason for performing, right? Are you, are you performing because you want to end up on a Broadway stage or are you performing because you really love delving into a character and, you know, it, you know, then it doesn't matter what stage you're on, right? You could, you would in that case probably want to take the more character driven, larger roles in the regional theater, because at that point you're fulfilling what you want to get out of theater and it's not necessary to be having that status. Right. Right. So it, it, and neither one is good or bad, right or wrong. It doesn't matter. It's different for each person. So taking the choice that you did is, is giving you a clue into, okay, well, my goal really does lie in bigger things. It's not just about being on stage and being in this character. I actually want to progress up into this level of theater. Which is interesting. As you say that if I was faced with that decision now, I would choose the regional theater. Because it, it's interesting how that goal, how that, um, how we kind of see that step, step, step to Broadway, how, how it's going to happen. And so for me now, I think it would be more worthwhile for myself to, to go after those roles rather than to go after the, the resume builder, right. you know? Yeah. And I think it's okay. Like, I think we get this, um, I don't know, this complex or whatever about allowing our priorities to change. I mean, life changes things. There was, you know, when I was in my twenties, I was single for most of my twenties and I was doing shows like crazy. And I was, you know, never home and I didn't care because I had no reason to be home. Right. I'd rather be in the theater. And, and so I was in, I mean, literally shows back to back to back to back for probably about 10 years, whether it was, it didn't matter to me. Was it chorus? Was it featured? Was it leading? I didn't care. I just wanted to be on stage in a show, part of a theater family. That's what mattered to me. And, you know, then I hit 30. I met my now husband. Things started shifting. I would never have wanted to go out on tour now because I don't want to leave him behind for six months, a year. But I, I don't want to do that. Now I want to be home. And, you know, for, for quite a few years, actually, I didn't perform at all. I didn't audition. I did. And not because... I don't know. It, it, there was, there was no, um, outside force in that. It's not like there was any guilt from him about doing a show or being gone all the time. There was never any of that. I just didn't want to. And was there a sense of missing out on something for a few years? No, not at all. There were still a couple of opportunities that came my way that were not full productions, but maybe, um, you know, a recording demo recording opportunity or, um, you know, an opportunity to do a staged reading or something like that. So I still kind of got to flex that muscle a little bit, but without as much time commitment to it. And, and with zero audition, because it just kind of happened, right? Which, amazing. Um, and so that kind of fed that need enough 
for me for a while. Um, and then it, I, a couple of years ago, I started feeling that itch again. And I, you know, I had, I had to have that conversation with my husband. I had to be like, okay, here's the thing. You didn't really know me when I was doing all this stuff. <laughs> you don't really know what that's like and like the home life aspect of it. And I know that you support whatever I do and you're wonderful in that way, but this is going to affect you. So let's just talk about what this looks like. And is your husband performer or from that world? No. He's a writer, so he gets the whole like artist up and down, like he gets all of that, but it's all very internal and from home. He's got that home body mindset and he his career allows that. Um, he doesn't have any of, of the performing aspect at all. Um, and so last year I started selectively auditioning again, very, very selectively. I did not go out for things that were in parts of town that I don't like driving to. I did. I mean, I was very picky, just, you know, if it's meant to happen, it'll happen and that's fine, you know? And, and to be honest, and I, in the years leading up to that, we went through some personal stuff that was pretty heavy and that really got me into personal development really, really strong. And I was doing that for myself. It was kind of a, a healing process for myself. And that was, I think, the, um, the variable that did not exist when I auditioned before that showed up when I started selectively auditioning again, right? Um, and so I realized that all this mindset work I had been doing on myself just for health and wellness started translating into how I approached the audition, whether it was choosing the audition or preparing for the audition, right? Or how I felt during or after the audition. You know, I started having better results when I went into my auditions. I would go in there and I wouldn't have the same level of anxiety going in. And I um, would leave the audition and not think about it as opposed to, you know, before when it's like, oh, I'm not thinking about that because that already happened. And I'm, I'm not dwelling on that because they won't call me if I'm thinking about it. Like, that was denial. This was, I truly just let it go. And it was just this amazing new experience of just choosing to allow the audition to be just kind of a mini performance, a mini opportunity to play a character that I wanted to play. And, you know, my audience was small, but I didn't look at it as please, please, please want what I'm doing. Like I just didn't have that same feeling when I was in the room. And I noticed that not only was I getting I got callbacks. I think now that I think about it, I don't think I went in for an audition once I started auditioning again that I didn't get called back for. Hmm. Now, granted, that sounds like, oh, wow, she's getting called back all the time. I'm talking like two, three auditions a year, not two, three auditions a day. Okay. So <laughs> right. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. Very different. Very different. Um, but, but I mean, I was getting called back in some cases for a larger role than I actually thought I had a shot at. Right. Oh, that's always a so, nice thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, so never tell them what you think they should look at you for. Always be open for it because you don't know. And they might have a totally better expectation of you than you have of yourself. So just never, ever tell them what they should be thinking. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, and not that they all worked out. They didn't all work out. You know, I didn't, didn't do a couple of shows, but then last summer, I had an opportunity, actually a show that you were just talking about, Mary Poppins. I had a friend of mine was um, like, she had 
played um, Mrs. Banks a number of times. She is the quintessential Mary Poppins. And I knew that she was going to get a chance to do it somewhere. Right. And she was auditioning at this theater. I knew she'd been doing a lot of shows there. I knew she had a really good shot at it. And I thought, you know, it would be so fun to do a show with her again. That would be so much fun. And to watch her and be behind her while she's getting this dream role for herself, that would be amazing. And I thought, you know, okay, I'm not really interested in, in any role except I want to be the bird woman. I love that song. That song is just like, it, it screams Disney to me. It's something that just is so iconic and it just really means a lot. And in the show, it's a duet with one of my best friends. How is that bad, right? So I went to the audition. We were both there together. Um, auditions went really well. This was a case where I put myself down on the sheet. I was interested in Birdwoman. That's all I said. I said I would not do ensemble because to be honest, this was in Santa Monica and that's not a drive I want to make for ensemble. Right. Just to do ensemble. Being really yeah. on, Fair enough. So, um, so I put that down. I didn't say anything about anything higher than I just said, I want to be your bird woman. And I did get called back for Mrs. Banks and the bird woman. And I went in for the reading and everything went great. Everything was fine. I ended up getting cast as the bird woman. My friend was Mary Poppins and it was the most amazing, wonderful experience. And I think looking back on now, granted, I, I did not have, I mean, I'm, we didn't play her as an old woman, obviously, <laughs> but I mean, we, we could have, but we didn't. Um, but I don't think I had the life experience for a role like that previously, but I think I also didn't understand, um, the, the mental preparation going into an audition that put me in the right place for that. I think I would have questioned whether or not I was quote unquote old enough to be believable in this role or even Mrs. Banks at that point, you know, I would have in the past, I would have gone in there and just been open to anything because I would have felt like it's too soon for me to play this role. Hmm. And I would have definitely told them not to consider me whether it would be in my body language or the song that I choose or the outfit that I wore, I would have done something that would have told them, Oh, she's not right for this part. But for some reason, because my headspace was completely different, I was thinking about supporting, supporting my friend. I was thinking about, you know what? I just love that song. I don't care that she's usually an old woman or whatever. I don't care about any of that. I just want to sing that song. So I went in and I brought something that was, you know, of a character that's too old for me and you know, all that stuff. I just presented it. Like I can be your bird woman. I can make it happen. And, and then it, they saw it because I saw it. And I think that was kind of just really eye opening for me because it just, you know, accidentally showed me how much control I actually have in that room. And I never really thought I did. I always felt like, because there are so many variables that, that are out of my control and they still are, you know, I mean, I can't go in the room and make them see me as what they, you know, what they need, but by going in there and just painting this picture for them of what I would do if you gave me this opportunity, that set me up in a much better way than me going in there and saying, okay, I think that this is what you want to see. So I'm going to wear this outfit so that I give you the picture that you're looking for. And then I'm going to choose this song because it's the closest to what you need to hear for that. I mean, I used to plan all that stuff out trying to be exactly what I thought they wanted to see. 
As you say that, it brings to mind the idea of a painting, which is kind of the metaphor that you brought up. And it's almost like you go in and you have two options. You can either bring the canvas with you and then while you're in the room, look at their reaction and paint accordingly and do this. And then you're creating and you're mostly looking at them and you're creating and you're painting. And then you look at it, it's like, oh, that's that's an interesting piece of art that's okay i mean kind of a picasso i don't right that's very interesting or the second option is to come in fully painted it's done and be like hi this is what i have to show for you thank you yeah take it or leave it right right and and let them let them take with that let them enjoy that let them see that but to go in there with like here's what i would do with the role here is how i would do george banks in my case Mm -hmm. and and present that to them rather than be like and you want a George Banks, right? Oh, well, I could do this. Oh, or, or I could do this, right? And, right. And, so, and so that way it's much harder to, to make a commitment. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a fine line because it's not about um, taking so much control of the audition that you're not listening to what they're telling you they want. Of course, of right? course. I mean, you don't, you don't go yeah, into It's still audition. a fresh painting, you know, with the, with the yeah, paint yeah. can be molded. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You don't, you don't ever want to ignore if they're breakdown says something very specific follow what they're asking for you know you want to do what they're telling you i mean they're flat out telling you do not sing from the show don't sing from the show <laughs> right amen but if yeah, they right. don't say that and let's say for example you happen to use the song from the character from the show all the time anyway and it goes really well for you then don't be afraid to sing from the show because it's from the show, right? There's there's a fine line of listening to what they want, but also not implying what they want based on experience. If they really don't want to hear from the show, then they will tell you that they really don't want to hear, right? Or, um, you know, for example, if you're going to a wicked call, because we've all been to at least one, right? It's just, I don't care where you live, you've been to a wicked call. been to a call, yes. they they have gotten to a point, at least out here, where they will say, do not sing Wicked. Because they don't want to hear popular 25,000 times in the day. They don't want to hear it. If they want to hear you sing it, they'll ask you to, because they'll know you know it already. So they won't worry about that. So that's very specific. So do not walk in with that, right? But but that's not the case most of the time. I feel like you can most of the time, if if that song is is really prepared and just really in you and and works really well for you, you can get away with doing your thing your way, right? Same thing as far as like you said, it's a fresh painting. So yes, you're going to go in and you're going to present. This is how I would do this. But a lot of times they're going to give you some direction anyway, right? For whatever reason. It may simply be because they want to see how you take direction. Mm-hmm. Can you do this a different way? So you have to be still um, changeable and malleable in that. You can't be so firm in, no, no, this is how I'm doing this. So I can't do what you're asking me because this is how I came in here saying this is my version. So that's it. I, I can't do anything else. You, you have to still be um free in that way because there's going to be other factors that are going to change how you would play that role so they need to know that they can work with you in that way and discuss with you in that way so it's yes present your your version but then once you've done your presentation now you have to listen to what they're saying and be malleable and show them what they want to hear that's different because now you've already shown them you 
and they're making suggestions. That's that's a completely different scenario, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah that's kind of like the Bob Ross effect. You know, they want to yes. find some happy trees. So what are you going to do with the happy trees now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, and I love that you said Bob Ross, because that has literally been the image in my mind this whole conversation, because <laughs> it's the only type of painting that I can think of that you could truly change the whole painting in the middle of it. Right. Because of that method. So you do kind of have to be that wet on wet painting that you have this image in your mind, you know exactly what you're going to give them. But if let's say, for example, your arm slips and you, you know, make a mark up at the top, oh, happy little cloud, that's it. It, it doesn't matter. And that's, that's okay. And I, I love that you said that because that's exactly what I had pictured in my mind when I was talking about it. Yeah. I, t- I took a class actually with Jen Waldman and she, she happened to mention that one time in that, you know, we, we get so like, okay, well, how do I stand? How do I move my arms? You know, should I, should I walk at this moment? Should I and she said, sometimes, especially like when you're discovering a piece or preparing for it, just kind of make a movement and see and see what that does. Maybe it's the wrong one, maybe it's the right one, but just make it and see what that does. And I think also in the room, we do that sometimes, whether it's nerves or whether it's just we're taken by the moment. We don't need to constantly critiquing and shutting down our, our own thought process. Yeah, exactly. It's funny because um, I was working with a, a client, an in-person client preparing for a specific audition. And um, this was just like last week actually. And she, she is one of those, she's a dancer, not so much a singer. She can sing, but she always goes into the dance call first. Right. And so the, the singing is not always a given. It's going to depend on a lot of factors. Right. So she doesn't have yet the process for herself as far as creating, um, that performance, that minute long performance or whatever, however much time she's going to get. So I, I actually had her, um, do this over the top silly like in interpretive dance thing with her cut you know to the point where you're literally pantomiming the words that you're saying simply because it forces you to move and to to free up that mindset of well i'm singing so i'm just gonna stand here and sing and i'm not gonna move and i'm you know that that fear that freezes us that if you do happen to move now, you don't know how to get out of it. Right. Like, <laughs> right? That, it's like, that why concept. am I walking? And I can't stop walking. What am I yes, going to do now? I put my hand up and now it's just there and I don't know what to do with it. Right. So, <laughs> and I did actually say that to her. I said, as you're playing with movement in this, I said, if you make a large gesture, have an exit strategy. You need to know how you're getting out of that large gesture. You cannot put your arms up in the air and not know how you're going to put them down because then they're going to be up the rest of your cut and you're going to feel silly and ridiculous. So so you need to think that through on some level. Um, I said, but that's why I think having doing the silly interpretive dance kind of thing first just frees you up to not overthink the movements and to just allow movement to happen in your body and in your song. And then you can be a little more selective and maybe videotape what you're doing um, intentionally and watch it back and see how it reads. You know, did that look how I thought it looked? Was that gesture as big as I thought it was? Oh, it really wasn't. And then it just looks like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? Um, So I think that it's really important to uh, play around with that stuff in advance. But then it, I think it also then frees you up to, play in the audition as well. So that if they've given you a direction and they say they want you to move, if you've literally never moved, 
when you're saying that? How, how do you do that on the spot when somebody's judging you? You can't. So you have to play with that on your own, even if you don't end up doing it in your chosen presentation of your audition. So you have mentioned uh, a bit about your, your coaching and how you help other actors. Uh, so talk a little bit about triple threat therapy and what exactly that is, how you started it, and what your goal is with that. Sure. So um, I've been a like a vocal coach for too long. I'm not even going to say how long. Let's just say over a decade, okay? And I've been helping singers um, with the technical aspect of learning a song and, you know, and sometimes with the presentation and all of that. And I've been doing that consistently for a while. Um, but then as I was realizing, as I was talking about before, that this personal development aspect in my own personal life that was affecting my auditions accidentally, I realized, you know, I don't think most actors are applying that in their preparation process. I don't think they're realizing that you kind of need to be really self-aware to be a good actor. You have to know yourself because how do you step into a character fully when you don't know who you are? Yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. Because so, no, matter, no matter what role we do, we're always going to be there. We're always going right. to bring ourselves in onto the stage. Right. And I think that can be um, an asset in some cases, depending on the role. If you're playing a villain, maybe not so much. You need to then know how to separate the two, right? But I think that you really need to know who you are and, and not even just in the being in character, but also in just how you approach the audition process in general. I went from treating auditions like this horrible thing that I just have to do in order to get on stage and turning it into something that was fun. Like, hey, I get to go audition for this thing and I get to sing this song that I've always wanted to sing for people. And now I get to sing for people and I get to choose my song. So how great is that, right? And so it, it just completely shifts everything and it puts this, this, um, this aspect of fun into it that is so important when you go into the room. Which, which I think a lot of actors, and I know myself included, I've, I forget that fun because yeah. it, you know, like, like this last week, I had like 10 sides for, you know, over the course of like two days. And I was just like, I was, I, I was overwhelmed. I was, it was just about, I just need to learn the song. I just need to learn the side. It just kind of came work and I forgot mm -hmm. about, well, I'm about, I'm about to go play a mermaid. I'm about to go, uh, you know, I'm, I'm about to go play a beast. I'm like, I'm doing all these like crazy characters. Right. And it's like, I need to have fun with this and, and yes. actually take on these characters and like have fun with them instead of just, you know, learn the words, learn the music. Right. And realize that, I mean, realistically, we know when it comes to auditioning, it's a numbers game. So getting out there for auditions and doing lots of auditions, the percentage that you're actually going to get called back and book and whatever small, right? Regardless of your talent. So if you don't treat that two minutes in the room like a fun performance, then it is work. It's work all the time. And if you were to have that kind of track record in any other field, you would have given up and moved on by now. Yeah, you'd be exhausted. Yeah. And you'd, you know, you'd be going into your boss and saying, you know what, this job sucks. Like, why, why are you making me do this? Because that is the job. Auditioning is the job. If that's, if it's a career path, 
So it's not about, you know, oh, I get to, you know, play this role on stage every night, blah, blah, blah. That's not really the job. That's kind of like the bonus. Right. So you have to make the job more fun or you're not going to stick around and do it for very long. You will quit that job and do something else. And then you miss out on the bonus too. So it's, it's finding that. So there, there are a lot of different aspects as far as triple threat. I'm still, you know, it's kind of a newer um, path that I'm taking with it. So I'm, I'm still including the technical vocal side of things because I think that's always going to be necessary, but um, I, I'm, I'm developing other aspects of it. So um, I actually just recently finished a course to become a certified life purpose life coach, because I think to a certain extent, that is a really important um, aspect of preparing for this business in general and just knowing your purpose, knowing where your goal actually lies. Is it Broadway? Is it tours? Is it community theater? Because that's going to change your approach to everything that follows. You need to know where you want to be, where you want to go. So that's part of it. But then also just helping people find ways to um, create mindset routines in their life that, you know, sets them up for the best audition day. So for example, let's just say, um, you know, one of the things that I offer are guided meditations in the, for the audition, right? So that you can listen to a two or three minute meditation before you go in, reminding yourself that you are prepared and that you are capable and that you are supported and all of that sort of thing before you go into the room. That's great. But if you've never meditated before, that's not going to work. Right. Yeah. It has to be something that's a part of your daily routine in order for them when the audition comes up, then it's just, again, just part of another day and it's not something special that you freak out about. Right. Right. It has to be something your body knows how to do. has to be a state you know how to get into. It's just like you're not going to not ever sing and then only warm up the morning of your audition and go in and sing and (laughs) expect your voice to be there. Right. Right. It won't. And so mindset has to be a practice. It has to be something we do regularly. So, and it's personal to everyone. It's based completely on your schedule, your lifestyle, things that matter to you. So, you know, helping people find their, you know, their ideal morning routine and how they start their day every day. And it's no different on an audition day, right? So you practice that and you get that into your body. And then when you do that on your audition day, it sets you up for the best possible day so that your headspace is good when you walk into the room, so that you don't have as many days like you were describing where, you know, you were having a bad day out here and you brought it into the room. You won't because you'll know how to get rid of it. Yeah. So that's the aspect that I'm kind of really starting to delve into with clients and it's really exciting. And I think it also just helps in life in general. It makes us happier people. We're just more content when we, know who we are, where we're going and how to get there. We feel like we're constantly in this hamster wheel rat race and we don't know where we're getting to. We're just kind of unhappy. We're a little cranky. So I think it, it's, it's for me, it's exciting to watch people just be happier in general, but then also to be happier in their chosen profession and to have more success because you're more confident when you go in the room and you know who you are and you know what you're presenting. It just comes full circle. So yeah. Yeah, if if I had to compare the you know the acting world to I guess the nine to five business world, mm-hmm. it's it, it's interesting that you bring up that kind of hamster wheel, and I think that's one of the biggest fears of any actor is to be is to feel stuck, to feel like mm-hmm. they plateaued, and they're just mm-hmm. like, go, because like I I imagine I, I've I've had a few office jobs, and 
office life is pretty much the same. You know, your, your interactions or, or your outside life, you know, the movie you saw, the shows you go to see, the, the parties, you know, different things like that kind of bring in conversation and how you interact with people in the office. But mm-hmm. the work itself stays, stays the same. And so right. that, that kind of has its own plateau and you kind of get used to that and you know what to expect day to day for the most part. Right. But with acting, we know how different it can be. We know that this different show, this different venue, these different performers, like so much can change based right. upon the, the role that we book. So, so okay. much can, can be different. And so for us to ever feel stuck, we know that that is like, okay, I'm doing something yeah. wrong. I'm not where right. I need to be. And it, I think that can really play on our minds when, if we ever start to feel like we're in that wheel. And I know that I myself have felt like that, you know, right. feeling like that going to audition after audition, not booking it, not booking it. Okay. It's now been one month, two months, three months. What, what, what when's it going to come? And I, it really starts to play in every other audition kind of just mounts more like didn't make it didn't make it. And then you just have this huge pile in front of you that you have to climb over every time you want to audition. Right. Well, and, and beyond that, it, it then feeds back into what we were talking about just before that, where the more and more you start feeling this mountain of rejections piling up, you, you start feeling that need versus want more and more every time you go into the audition, because now it's like, okay, I need to book something or everybody's going to think I'm horrible at this, right? Right, right. Like, something because is people wrong. people keep asking, oh, what, what, what have you been up to? Well, right. I did something six months ago. Right, exactly. Especially, I think, because social media is used so much for promoting shows and, you know, just promoting ourselves in general, if you don't have some new character that you're playing to post, even if it's ensemble, that doesn't even matter in social media world. Your costume is what matters, Right. That you are in a Very theater. Very true, yeah. It's right? all about the, that, that picture. It's like, what <clears throat> yes. can you post? Yes, and you can only throw back Thursday for so long <laughs> until people are saying, okay, but what are you doing now? Right, but what did you do Wednesday? Like, I get it. Right, right. <laughs> and I think it adds this, this whole layer of, um, you know, fear and desperation that maybe existed before, but in a different way. I think it's a little bit more... Um, apparent for us now because now there are people all over the world that are following us on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, that are asking those questions. Oh, what are you doing next? And I think it adds another layer of pressure that um, we don't need because we have enough of our own (laughs) pressure that we're putting on ourselves and that it's just inherent to going into an audition in the first place. So, you know, we don't need to add to it. And I think, um, I think that when you start to feel that, like you said, that, that very natural pileup of rejections over a certain amount of time, we start to get so desperate that now, let's say we, our goal is Broadway, right? And we've been auditioning for a bunch of stuff and we've been really good about um, you know, trying to grow and only doing things that move us in the right direction. But then we start to feel like, okay, it's been six months. It's too soon for me to be doing that. So now I'm just gonna take whatever they'll give me. And now you go backwards. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, yep. it's and it comes easy. down to once again, comparison. Comparison is the death of all creativity. It's the death of all confidence. It, it just, the second you're looking at anybody other than yourself, you're in trouble. And I, you know, I've heard the analogy so many times and I think it's just so realistic. 
a, you know, when you think about um, like a horse race, for example, there's a reason that horses are wearing blinders when they're running in a horse race. It's so they cannot see the horses on either side of them because it will distract them. And they'll start be paying so much attention to what's going on around them and what the other horses are doing that they've lost sight of their goal. And they've lost sight of where they're going. And I think that's exactly what happens to us, especially with social media, because now we know what everybody's doing. So it's not even just about the people that you talk to all the time. It's everybody. So when you see people, oh, they're playing this role, that role. Oh, well, what am I doing? I have nothing to post. And so now you're so worried about what you're posting and is it exciting and is it new that you've completely lost sight of where you actually wanted to go. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's really dangerous. So I think, you know, it comes back to that whole self-awareness and really understanding your goals and not letting anybody else's opinions or, um, you know, successes or any of that affect what you're doing. Well, it's the same thing, I think, with our resume. It's like, you know, you were mentioning doing things for that picture, for that post. We also mm -hmm. do things, and I know I've done it, for my resume. It's oh, like, sure. well, what, what's, what can I now put at the top of my resume that when I go into that audition, see, casting directors are going to see mm -hmm. and, and be impressed with that? Or what director can I work? And so we're trying to tick off these boxes in our resume so that it looks Oh, wow, boy, they've yeah. really done a lot. We want to impress other people, whether of that's a resume or on social media. And I think that that, that can be, uh, again, that, that, that gets us out of that mindset of, well, well, wait, but why are you doing this? Why, why are you wanting to do that role? Why do you want to sing that song? Why, you know, the reasons why we actually are performers, why we're in the arts you know, this creative field, what is it that we want to create? Do we just want to create a good resume so we can type that in? Or right. do we want to, you know, have, have a role, have an experience? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, <clears throat> it's one of those things, it's, it's, it's so challenging and so difficult because to a certain extent, as a business, which any performer, if you're auditioning, you're an entrepreneur, you are running a business, like it or not, that's just what it is you do have to impress them with your resume. I mean, you, you can't. Yeah, there's no well, way I mean, around it, for no, sure. No, there's not. I mean, you have to care about that. You have to focus on those things. But it needs to be, I guess, in some way, compartmentalized from your emotions. Yeah, and, and, and it that's needs to be a complete challenge. package as well. It's not just yeah. the, oh, the yes. be all, right. Right, no, exactly. But I mean, it's, it's a challenge of making sure that, you know, okay, yes, I have this at the top of my resume because it's gonna be what they see first and it's the most impressive thing and, and whatever, but, but you, you need to have done that thing because you wanted to do that thing, not because it was gonna look good on your resume. And that's kind of the, the challenge that a lot of us face is, you know, is it better to play this role I really, really wanna play, but maybe not at a theater that's as impressive you know, or do this really small ensemble or whatever role, but look at that theater. You know, I mean, it's like, you've got to decide what is it that really matters to you? Do, do you want to get something out of the experience or do you just want the line on your resume? Because if you're only going, like you said, from resume line to resume line, it's not very fulfilling. And after a while, it's going to get old. Yeah. You know, so it, it's, it's, yes, it's, important, but it's that trade-off, you know, like you said, between 
playing these two leading roles in a regional theater or playing in the ensemble on a tour, what is, what is the experience you're going to get out of it as well? Beyond just how is it going to further me towards my goal? Which one is going to be most fulfilling and which one am I going to enjoy the most? Because we need to enjoy life. It's too short to spend all our time doing things because other people want us to do it. You know, it's, it's that balance that I think is so difficult in this business, trying to always be the next best thing and always showing that you're doing the next best thing, you know? And as you've coached people, as well as your own life development, what have you discovered are like, maybe those one or two things that are, are probably the like foundational things it's like, you know, this is getting back to basics. Here's what we need to think about. These are the things that we need to focus on. Yeah. So I think um, there would probably be, I would say probably three different things that are the most important. I think the first one being know your goals, know what your goals actually are, not what other people tell you they should be because you're going to waste a whole lot of time aiming at the wrong thing. Right. right. So that would be first. You have to know that. Um, the second thing would be being prepared to actually go into an audition. So for me, I'm more along the lines of singing. I do all the other auditions too, but I always present as a singer because that's my strong suit. And that's who I, not always who I coach. Like I said, I do coach a lot that are dancers first, singer second, right? But I think that it's really important to have a solid book. And this is just on the practical side of things. You need to have a book that you could pull out for an audition that you found out about five minutes ago. It needs yeah. to be um, have enough variety in it, but it needs to be 100% performance ready to go at any given moment. And I think that's a very back to basics thing that people don't think about. And I think it's something that we need to realize too. You have to refresh on a somewhat regular basis, right? The book I had when I was doing all this in my twenties and the book I have now, they're not the same. I think they have one song in common. And it's a song that when I did it before, I probably didn't really understand because it was a little bit more mature than I was when I was singing it, right? So you need to revamp with your life experience. You change as a person and you're not going to connect to the same songs in your 30s, 40s, 50s that you did in your 20s. So you need to be willing to revamp and let go of certain songs, right? And find new ones. There's so many new ones coming out. Discover those. Always, yes. Right? So... That I think is a practical side of things, really important um, back to basics thing. And then I think the third thing is just finding your routine and your mindset, but also your uh, practical preparation practice. How do you fit this into your life? Because unless, unless your career, unless your job right now, your way of making a living is in performing, you have something else that is stealing your time. It's taking, whether it's 40 hours a week or whatever, doesn't matter. It's taking some of your time. So you can either let it take your time and then not feel prepared when you go in for the thing that you say you actually care about, or you can find a way to fit in time for the thing that you care about around what you have to do. Yeah. It's, it's about right. figuring out those priorities and that's whether it's, whether it's your family or mm. whether it's a second job or yeah, it's a, it's a matter of figuring out, okay, well, if I can do one thing today, what I want to, and then what's next and then what's next and really prioritizing not your, not only your days, but then your life in general. So that these auditions, when they come up, they get the preparation they need, your family, your whatever else it is, gets the preparation that it needs. 
Yeah. And, and honestly, your budget too. Because, right, financial reasons, a big one, right? Yeah. I mean, not even just for living day to day, because the more stress you have in just surviving, it's going to spill over. I mean, yeah. that's a reality, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But also if you feel like, like, let's say the, the really big audition does come up and now there's, there's a, you know, a Broadway audition coming near you and it's, um, you know, a role that you really are right for and you really want to take this chance and you want to be as prepared as possible but you don't have any money to invest into coaching or new headshots or whatever it is that will actually make you feel prepared. Well, now you've just not given yourself the best chance at getting your goal and getting your dream. Not that you always have to be spending money on it, but sometimes you do. And you have to be preparing for that in advance. So whether it's putting a certain amount of money into an account on a regular basis so that you have money that doesn't hit your regular budget that you can use when something comes up and that you don't feel guilty about it and it doesn't stress you out later. And that then if you don't book it, you're not regretting having done that to yourself and your budget over the past month, right? right. You need to have this little slush fund for supporting that habit. And it's such a practical, silly thing, but if you think about it, if you actually had that, you wouldn't put the pressure on this audition that you do, because if you tell yourself, oh, I just spent my rent money on preparing for this audition, so I better right. get it. Right, right. right. And, and then when you don't get it, then, then that, that creeps into self-doubt and then oh, adds yeah. other pressures that, we, that we, we already have. The voice inside us that says we won't make it is already big enough. We don't need to give it reasons. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. So I think it's just preparing in practical ways as well as in the, you know, just the mindset headspace ways so that it really truly is okay if and when we don't book it and not not setting ourselves up to be so full of regret and so full of self-doubt and all those things when it doesn't happen so then you spiral and it's just you know there's so many aspects of it that are going to hurt you in the future so i think just preparing in all those ways so it would really just be those three things but it looks so different in each person's life so I think that's why like, yes, you, you can do a lot of these preparation things on your own, but I think it really does help to have someone guiding you so that you stay on track and you don't get bogged down in something that isn't really that important. But for some reason, you've told yourself it's really important right now. And now you, you spend all this time, maybe months really focusing on this. And then you haven't like, you know, let's say, for example, you're focusing on saving up money for whatever new headshots, but you haven't spent any time working on your book. So now you've got the money, you do the headshots and the audition comes up and you're not ready. Right, <laughs> right. Your, your, your you headshot looks great, but then yes. you get in the room and it's like, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to exactly. do. Exactly, exactly. It's keeping you on track and keeping those things flowing and, and just having the conversation. You know, think about all the things that we've just talked about that have sparked an idea in your mind and in mine as well, just from things that you've said. If you don't have that sounding board that you're talking to, those things would never have even popped into your head in the first place. Mm -hmm. That's so important. We need to collaborate, even if it's just in talking out our inner demons. <laughs> you know, you need to hear someone else's perspective on stuff. So, well, I if someone wants to talk out those inner demons, where can they find you and get in touch with you? Sure. So, um, I do have a website, triplethreattherapy.com. There's a lot of teas in it, so don't second guess yourself. <laughs> and I think also on um, Instagram is another place that I'm, I am a lot. Um, so it's just at triple threat therapy on there. Um, and then I also have a Facebook group, which is more of kind of a, a free community where 
a lot of theater people can just be in there and supporting each other and and to have this um that that cast theater family feel but all the time whether you're in a show or not you don't have to leave them behind you can just have them all right there and just learn together and grow together and support each other and um you know, be there to say, Hey, you know what? Yeah. I didn't get called back for that show either. It's okay. You know, and just to have that camaraderie. Um, I think that's really important too. So that's just also, that's the triple threat therapy tribe on Facebook. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. This has been, it's been enlightening for me. I've, I've, I've felt like I've had my own little therapy session, which is great. So, <laughs> so I, I, I appreciate that. And thank you so much for, for joining me on the podcast. Absolutely. Anytime. Well, as she said, um, you can find her on Instagram, Facebook. All those are going to be on the show notes on the website, winmepodcast.com. You can click on those links there and feel free to share this episode and what you've learned. Because I know I've certainly learned a lot. I've just things put in a different perspective that I hadn't thought of before. So I know I'm going to be taking my own time to kind of sort through the things that I've learned in this, uh, in this interview. So whatever you've learned, feel free to share that with others who you think could benefit from this episode. As always, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at WinMePodcast, and we'll see you here next time. Keep making it. And until then, so long. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.